From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., lots to talk about in our post-primary analysis. Let's start with the Democratic primary for governor. State school superintendent Tony Evers outlasted seven other candidates with 42% of the vote, so he'll take on Republican Governor Scott Walker in November. The attacks happened immediately, though. The Republican Party of Wisconsin announced on election night that it would start running TV ads against Evers, accusing him of putting students in danger by not revoking the license of a teacher who viewed pornography on a state computer. Then Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish announced that she would hold a news conference to discuss how Evers' record would leave Wisconsin families in danger. Undoubtedly, Evers will also run some attack ads against Walker. So is this what we can expect from now until November, and how ugly do you think it's going to get between these two candidates? What's become clear is that Governor Walker is not up by a big margin. What I don't know is where the race is at exactly. We've seen some polls where Evers is up seven points, one had him up 13. I mean, this is very much a race that Democrats can win. And if you're Scott Walker, I mean, people know who you are. You've been governor now for almost eight years. He has near universal name ID in Wisconsin. There's not much you can change about people's opinions of yourself. You can, however, try to tear down your opponent and put him or her in a weaker position. So with Evers, it looks to some people like Walker's trying to a build up his, you know, his the people way people view him with some positive ads, but also using the state Republican Party as an attack dog on Evers to go after him um, on this issue about the teacher and not losing his license. They see that as a vulnerability. I'm sure. Um, they're going to also go after him with Democrats talking about reducing the prison population to say that he wants to release violent felons and make Wisconsin left safe. They're trying to find ways to define Tony Evers immediately after the primary before he can go up and do it himself. Now, the good news for Evers is the Democratic Governors Association quickly announced a TV ad praising him. That way they can try and help fill out the details about Tony to an electorate starting to tune in, figure out what's going on and pay attention. And, and it's time now for these messages to start to kind of try and drive, you know, burn them in because you're now talking about a sprint to November. Some people are concerned that Tony Evers is too mild-mannered, not tough enough to take on Walker. This was an issue that came up during the primary. So what does the Evers campaign have to do in order to beat Walker? Well, you know, one, there's a very good environment, we think, for Democrats right now. Now, I hate to try and project out from turnout in the August primary to what's going to happen in November, but if you look at the numbers, there are a lot more votes in the Democratic primary for governor than there were in the uh, GOP U.S. Senate primary race. So that suggests to people that Democrats are jazzed up. It's another data point of the enthusiasm gap, especially when you consider the millions of dollars spent in that Senate primary versus what was put on TV in the DemGov race. It's another factor that suggests that, you know, Dems are pretty excited. So you have that, you have the environment that could help because, you know, November is still a ways away. We'll see how it changes, if at all, between now and then. But, you know, you have a consistent message talking about where Evers thinks Walker has failed. That's one thing he can do. The other thing is, you know, I've, I've heard two theories. He is not a fire and brimstone type candidate, so he might not really excite some people. But I've also heard the theory that Democrats can, can project onto Evers their kind of hopes and dreams. There's a little bit of a blank slate with some people. Also, you have to look at the full slate. Um, you have Mandela Barnes, who is a younger African-American candidate, now for lieutenant governor. Mandela can go in 
to north side of Milwaukee and obviously talk with a, a different kind of authority or presence than a Tony Evers can. That might help excite, you know, generate some enthusiasm among African-American voters in Milwaukee. I mean, you can see, like, pockets where Democrats can go and try and bring back people in the fold who maybe sat out 2016 not really seeing a reason to get excited. You mentioned another nail-biter of a race, uh, the one between GOP U.S. Senate candidates Kevin Nicholson and Leah Vukmir, with Vukmir garnering 49% of the vote to Nicholson's 43%. It was a bitter battle with Nicholson and special interests airing a lot of negative ads against Vukmir in the final days. Will Nicholson and Vukmir supporters be able to easily set that aside and unite in their effort to defeat Democratic incumbent Senator Tammy Baldwin. You know, what people often see in campaigns is that in the immediate aftermath of a race, a primary, there are some hurt feelings, but oftentimes they find a way to unite behind a common cause, which is for Republicans, they want to beat Tammy Baldwin. The questions that I have are, you know, what will independent groups do in that race now? We saw all that spending for Nicholson from Groups, many of them funded by Dick Uline, a wealthy Illinois businessman. Will Uline continue to write big checks because his preferred candidate, Kevin Nicholson, is not the nominee? Where do we fit in the national pecking order? If I'm a Republican, you have better chances to pick off Democratic incumbents in places like Indiana, uh, North Dakota, Montana, Missouri, West Virginia. You have three seats you have to defend, maybe. For sure, Nevada, maybe Arizona, maybe Tennessee. And then all of a sudden, Florida is looking you know, pretty decent. Those are nine seats to play in before you even talk about Wisconsin. Another race that a lot of people were watching, iron worker Randy Bryce rather handily defeated Kathy Myers in a Democratic primary in the 1st Congressional District in the wake of House Speaker Paul Ryan's retirement. Bryce advances to take on Republican Brian Stile in November. Stile has received the endorsement of Paul Ryan. So what will that race look like? It's a good question because early on, you know, there was a perception that Rennie Bryce was, you know, kind of raising so much money because um, people nationally saw as a chance to maybe not necessarily beat Paul Ryan, but keep him busy at the very least. And maybe if there's a big enough wave, take out the sitting House Speaker, right? Well, now with Ryan gone and Brian Stile as the nominee, you have to put the first congressional district in the national pecking order. Uh, recall there was a special election in Ohio last week. I saw some figure that Democrats talking about. There were, I believe, 58 seats in the country, the House, in the House, that were more Democratic than that Ohio seat. So where do we fit in that pecking order? Because the first is no longer about Paul Ryan. It's about picking up the two dozen seats, roughly, Democrats need to take back control of the House. Again, they will put the money where it's the most effective. So if there's a real chance here. Sure, it'll come. But there may be less of an attraction to play in Wisconsin that district now compared to what it was before when you could be, you know, challenging Paul Ryan. Do you think Randy Bryce's issues from the primary will follow him? In other words, will Brian Stile capitalize on Bryce's uh, past indiscretions in the same way that Kathy Myers did? Oh, Republicans will absolutely make that part of the issue. I mean, they're already, you know, hitting him in a radio ad talking about his arrest. I mean, there is baggage with Randy Bryce that Republicans will seize upon to try to disqualify him with the voters. It's just, it's what you do. Um, now the question becomes, will voters hold that against him or will they see past it? Bryce's backers try to argue that this is just a sign that he is a, you know, a real person, that he's somebody who um, understands the struggles of everyday Wisconsinites. We'll see if that plays out. But for sure, there is a lot of fodder for TV ads 
uh, with his background that Republicans can use their advantage. And the seat has been in Republican hands for 20 years. What are the chances of it flipping? You know, part of that question is, if there is a blue wave, how big is it going to be? And that I can't tell you. Um, you know, I've learned that the environment can flip dramatically in a short window. So I hate making predictions in mid-August about what voters are going to feel like in November. But we, we see signs of things going Democrats' way. If that holds, the question is, how big would a blue wave be? If it's big enough, maybe they can win the first congressional district. But if it's just, you know, a, a tailwind versus a wave, it may not be enough to win that seat because it naturally leans Republicans by the way it's drawn. One advantage for Bryce is that he has raised a lot of money. He's also spent a lot of money. He's got more money at his disposal than a lot of first-time House candidates. The question is, can he can he pick back up the fundraising pace? Can he have enough for a really uh, concerted effort? And how will Republicans pick at him? What does he have on Brian's style? I mean, there are a lot of questions to be answered in the next you know, two months. And finally, Democratic State Representative Josh Zepnick of Milwaukee lost his re-election bid in a Democratic primary against attorney Marissa Bell Cabrera. There's no Republican in the race, so she'll likely be the next state representative from that district. Zepnick faced a primary after allegations that he kissed some female colleagues against their will. He apologized in the wake of those allegations, but he refused to step down. So was it inevitable that he would have a primary opponent, and did the result surprise you? Uh, Marissa Bell Cabrera lost to Zepnick by about 149 votes two years ago in a primary Shortly after the story broke about the allegations because Zepnick, she jumped in the race again. I mean, I, I get the impression she might have run anyway. But this created new fuel for that challenge. And what we saw was that Zepnick kind of held about where he was vote total-wise two years ago, but Cabrera saw a surge. She used those issues against him. Um, she created a Time's Up Josh website. She did mailers highlighting the allegations. I mean, in this environment where Democrats are at right now with the Me Too movement and all these things, it seemed like she had the, the fodder to, to beat him. The question was, would she have the resources and would voters respond? Zetnik tried to downplay things. He did an interview with me about a week and a half out from the primary and kind of said some things that rubbed some Dems the wrong way. And I think added some fuel to the fire to go try and beat him. And, you know, in that environment, in a low turnout race, I mean, if you're organized, it, it, there's an opportunity to beat an incumbent. And, and that's what happened. Thanks for joining us, JR. Anytime. That's WISPolitics.com editor JR Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.